Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett. And on today's episode, we are joined by Russell Pearson. If you've ever wanted to figure out how do sales and marketing come together, intersect, then this is the episode for you. And of course, if we can ever help you grow your sales and marketing, head over to www.joinmygroup.com.au where we got live trainings, all this fun stuff for you every single week. But until then, let's jump into the show. Russell, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate you making the time. Ah, have, thanks for having me. Great to have you. Now, I always like to start the podcast off the same way every time, which is if I met you and we were at a party and we just started chatting and I said, Russell, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? Um, if I had to do a PhD in something... It would be about the intersection of sales and marketing. So um, what do I do for people? I just help them get clients um, mm. and ideally clients that allow them to you know, have a business that gives them a life that they want. Always handy. Always handy. Yeah. Um, now, I'd love to know like what's and because I've been looking at the different an- uh, analogies trying to relate because obviously you mentioned the inter- the um, the connection between sales and marketing and where they, where yeah. they meet. What's the best analogy of sales and marketing working together that you've uh, you've heard seen or observed because i find for a lot of people like obviously you know if you can give them little uh, little analogies to work off of it's uh, it makes it so much easier to understand yeah sure um all right so most people look at sales and marketing as two separate things so here's an analogy i'm literally making up on the spot because i haven't done this one before let's say that we had uh you're in you're setting your garden up and you've got like uh, you've got two hoses, and you're going to connect them, and you're going to put a connector between them, and they ideally will connect naturally. But some hoses have got different sizes and different shapes, and all the rest of it. And if you've ever worked in corporate, you know that sales teams and uh, marketing teams don't see eye to eye, and they just point at one another and blame each other. So um, I like the idea of um, sales and marketing being one hose. So there is no connection; it's just one one pipeline. There is. Uh, the 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 challenge um, is breaking it up into two pieces and expecting them to operate differently. But if you set it up in a way where you know how you want to deal with the client at the end and you know where they are when you're going to get to them, you can just create one pipeline and call it sales marketing if you like. But it's just one thing. Mm, I like it. I like it. My uh, the best one that I've heard, and I I didn't make this up, so I can't take any credit for it. But um, the game of golf was a great one that I heard where it's like marketing is kind of like your long game and how well you can drive it. And sales is the finesse that you need on the uh, on the green to be able to get it in the hole. It's all part of the one and same game and you mm-hmm. need to be good at both, but they do play together. So that's that was probably, uh, I threw you under the bus because I had mine lined up because I just did a post about it the other day. But uh, no, bro, I, I, I like, I like that. I, I love that because the, 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 the interesting part that... Um, or the way I see it, is that at different stages in business, there are different parts of where the green starts and where the the um, the fairway stops. And so the concept is really about what is the right pipeline for you rather than putting it into its traditional camps because people hire you know, marketing directors and marketing managers and they hire sales directors and sales managers and they've come from a, 
uh, an experience in the past where they've got a certain type of pipeline and they'll bring that into the business. But ideally, if the business is successful, it already knows what its own steps are. Mm. Yeah, And so um, uh, that's often where the confusion comes from. That's also often where you bring a new sales manager into a business and suddenly it starts selling differently mm. or you bring a new marketing manager into a business and it starts sounding different. So, yeah, it's um, trying to take the personality out of it. Love that. And so what got you into that? Because I'm assuming you probably didn't, you know, when you were five years old, be like, I want to be a sales and marketing person when I grow up. Like, what's, uh, what was it that brought you into that world? Oh, no, when I was five years old. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. Um, uh, looking back now, I can see all the signs. But when I was five years old, I wanted to be a, a puppeteer. I liked um, Jim Henson stuff and all the rest of it. So uh, maybe it's off the back of that, you <laughs> playing with people but no I I think it's more a case of when I was um when I was eight um I used to do a lot of art and I did these art classes because I you know had some sort of skill in it even had a little um an art gallery show at at eight but my my parents saw that my my dad was uh running his own business he goes maybe you could like draw on t-shirts and stuff and we could sell them somewhere and so um, you know, he put me into a sweatshop and we uh, we sold at the the local, um, you know, the stores that have got like wool and things like that in them. They are like a local store. And so we put these little kids' T-shirts in there and they sold uh, with these little characters that I created when I was like really young, made 20 bucks off the back of it. So it was always entrepreneurial. But the real journey sort of started when I got into design because I started in the graphic design space and I was, you know, because of because of art. And uh, the the first job that I landed was actually uh, with a company that was doing branding and, and and advertising. And so my introduction to it was not this pretty pictures type uh, introduction. It was very much around how do I get a return on this design that I'm doing. And so I, I was doing design theory back before design thinking was a thing. And so you're able to just to bring that into business. And what I discovered being that designer um, who was a teenager, that at the very start, you fall in love with the aesthetics. It's like we're designing around like a, a thing that does a certain type of communication. And then you step back from that and you go, this poster, this brochure, this whatever is actually part of a campaign. All right. So this campaign design. And then stepping back from there, this campaign's part of a larger business strategy. Oh, okay. So you've got strategy design. And then stepping back from that, it's like, why are we doing this? Why are we running this business? Why are we talking to these clients? And so really it started from my design training and I just worked it back out. And um, it meant that I never got bored. So as soon as I got bored with the, yeah, okay, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good designer and I had to engage people through a piece of design, how could I go broader? And it kept going broader until I was helping people with business design. I love that. That's awesome. And so what was the, was that always then, or yourself, or you were either working in other companies, or like, how did you get to the point of uh, um, business at the business scale? Yeah, yeah. So I started in a, um, a design agency, and we were doing a lot of pharmaceutical work. So like working with Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Sigma and a whole bunch of others. And this is back in the nineties, and they had a lot of money at the time, and so they, they were like, "We need to spend our budget." And so we were coming up with all these ideas on how to spend the budget, but spend it in a way that they'd actually get a return. So we're always doing this sort of problem-solving thing. And uh, through that process, because we're working with a lot of brand managers at pharmaceutical companies because they're always launching product, I fell in love with the process of, of brand design. 
like how can you actually create a perception how do you create a voice um how do you engage people where they're at and and have, have them fall in love with you know your product or your service and so i would have been i, was, I think i was working in agency land for about 90 years and i kept pushing my uh, boss at the time you know uh, what else can i do what else can i what else can i do and then he ran out of things <laughs> and so i started working on the side and uh, if anyone's from Australia, especially in Melbourne, you might know um, of a thing called the Melway. And Melway was a, uh, it's a street directory. Uh, and it's a street directory that's been around like 40 years. And I knew of the, the brand and um, uh, a mate of mine was supposed to be doing the cover for it. And uh, he couldn't do the job for some reason. He goes, oh, why don't you do it? And they, they said, oh, I will bring some, you know, uh, this is publication design, so bring some books you might have done. And I walked into this, this office with, like, 20 big, like, books and things. That I, they go, what's this? They go, oh, this is my portfolio. <laughs> I just dropped it on the desk. Um, they go, oh, okay, cool. Well, you've got experience. Um, and I ended up doing uh, that Melway uh, cover for the next 15 years. But it was that instance of working with a brand while I was working part-time, like working with a significant brand part-time, gave me the confidence to go out on my own. And what's interesting, and the promise for anyone who's thinking of starting on their own, is that they said to me, uh, if you do go out on your own, we've got all this work for you. <laughs> as soon as I went out on my own, that was like the work all dried up. But it was that year, it was almost like taking a year off because I didn't know any better. I was, I was in this idea of if I work 16 hours a week, I will be making the same income of, as what I'm doing as an employee. And so I'm at 10 a.m. sitting in the movie theaters eating popcorn, literally on my own, just going, how good's, <laughs> how good's running your own business? Um, and then at the end of that year, I was $30,000 in tax debt. And um, I realized that there's much more to running a business than um, just doing production hours. <laughs> so, so things changed. Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, it's always interesting that one. It, everyone seems like, oh, I just see, like, it seems so simple. Just jump across and start it. And it's like, whoa, there's uh, so, so many pitfalls to be wary of. That's for sure. 100%. Yeah. And so then what was then the the first kind of or more so foray into like really bringing in the set? Because obviously, as you mentioned, like zooming out on those things, really tying in the sales and marketing together. Like what was the first kind of foray into bringing that into play? Well, off the tax debt. Right, so the tax debt happens. I need to make now thirty thousand dollars on top of what I'm earning and putting tax to the side, and so I'm like, oh, I actually have to do not just sixteen hours of work. I need to do sixteen hours of work plus sales, plus marketing, plus HR. When I eventually got people on board, plus my own books and finance and doing all these things, and I'm like, oh wow. And so you learn all these different things, and 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 sales and marketing is one of those. I already had the marketing experience, so that was cool. Uh, but I realized that just because you're bringing people to you doesn't mean that they're going to say yes. And uh, going through that process, I fell in love with it. So it, it very much fits in the design thinking um, portfolio and in my head. Um, and I fell in love with sales and I thought I was pretty good at it um, until, and this is what happens with a lot of uh, very like, micro businesses is they'll go, oh, I'm pretty good at sales. Uh, it's because sales are coming from referrals or they're coming from uh, easy sources, people that you already know. <clears throat> and then uh, you need to scale. You go, all right, now I'm going to grow. And you go to grow and then you go, oh, oh so now instead of having you know uh, one person I speak to every two weeks, I've got to speak to 20 people a week. And it's like, oh, wow, that the scales changed. So the whole referral thing I realized was 
actually holding me back because I had to learn to have a process and learn to to have a consistent process uh, once I enjoyed the roller coaster ride of business. So um, so I came back to the design thinking and I started applying that to to what I was doing. Two things happened. Um, one is I met a woman named Jane Riley who is um, not someone I, I speak to as much as I, I wish I spoke to her more now, but she was a sales trainer and she was she just we just happened to meet one day and 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 got along and I had my sort of marketing strategy head and she was like sales and engagement and we we sort of started working together for a few years and watching the way she sold and understanding that sales was not just a mechanical thing that was going on in my head around design it was also an emotional thing and she was very able to tap into that um had a had a coaching background and all the things that went with it I realized the elements I was missing uh, and then fell more deeply in love with sales and then the role of, of of marketing and sales together and how that all works together. So that was one thing. The second one uh, was uh, I, I was in a business incubator and there was uh, me and uh, three other people and we decided we we're going to teach each other the different things about our businesses because there was a HR person, and a, an accountant, there was me in a marketing sense and there was an IT guy. And so each month we'd come together and we'd teach each other something around business from our own expertise. Anyway, we started doing this for a few months and then one day someone stuck their head in and goes, oh, can I join too? And then another person did and another person did. And then suddenly we got like every month 60 people showing up to this business group we'd created out of nothing and, and somehow I was the, the MC for them. <laughs> and <laughs> one day the, um, the, the speaker didn't show up because we started getting these speakers in. Uh, speaker didn't show up and I had to just off the cuff like teach this room of 60 people how to do what I do. And and I did that. They go, oh, great, you're, you're good. You're speaking and what have you. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a speaker. Like, like the only thing that got me through was saying I'm not a speaker. <laughs> and But it gave me confidence. And uh, I put in for some war, awards and then I, um, I, I went up onto a stage to be nominated for an award and I had to do a 10-minute talk. And this is where I've gone, okay, this is not impromptu. I'm actually going to design the talk. So it suddenly it meant something. And so I'm up on stage giving this 10-minute talk and I got a case of what's called the Charlie Browns, uh, which is, I don't know if you've ever seen the Charlie Brown cartoon, but the, the, the teacher at the front of the room goes, wah, 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 wah. And that's how my voice was sounding in my ears because I was about to faint. Uh, that's where I realised that I, I hated speaking on stage and I was deathly afraid of it. Um, but... I got through it. Nobody noticed. And at the end of it, 20 people actually contacted us to work with the company. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> if I start putting myself out there, I'm, this is this the sort of reward I'm going to get. So I started doing it again and, and again and again. And, and every time I nearly fainted, but it slowly got better and better. And uh, until somehow, like 10 years later, I've become the national president of Professional Speakers Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I, I don't have that same fear, but every now and then it creeps back in. So um, it's one of those things where you know there's there's all sorts of books about um, the obstacle is the way and, and and things of that nature. But I found that to be true in in, in business that I, I did the thing that was the scary thing, and then that enabled me to actually bring the stuff that I love, which is the design and the educational side bring them together and then suddenly suddenly I'm able to communicate to a much bigger audience. Yeah, I love that. And I think it is sometimes it's you do have to take a bit of a leap, as you said there as well, with uh, things that scare you in business that might be a little bit uh, 
uncertain or unwavering about in the way that you normally do things because the worst worst case scenario is that everyone says that your presentation sucks like that's about the like at least we're not in america where you can get shot if you're that <laughs> you know what i mean like in australia it's like you know like the, the absolute worst and i've i've heard some some good speakers in my day some bad speakers in my day no one's ever stood up and booed anyone or like chased them off of a stage you saw time you, yeah, you like you, you know that they're they're giving it a go, so you kind of support them. So uh, it's that's the absolute worst that could happen. But uh, I think everyone makes it a lot bigger in their head. But you you do have to take those jumps and those leaps. Um, yeah, just to to try and push yourself. But also the same as you mentioned, like with sales and marketing, like there's definitely people out there that haven't gone down and understood how to communicate to a cold prospect versus a referral. That's like oh. Kim said I should go and work with um with Russ. Like, like just let me introduce you. It's a very different conversation. Someone's like, oh, 10 minutes ago you left your details on a Facebook lead form. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and you're inquiring <laughs> about my product or service. You've got you've got to have a different set of skills. Yeah, you do. And um in in marketing, there's a there's a concept of know, like, and trust. And for those who are listening, it's K-N-O-W, like no as in I know you. Um, no like and trust. And um, the it's interesting because most people, when they first hear that, they go, oh, so people need to know who I am, which is true. Uh, they need to like me to work with me, which is true. And they need to trust me if they want to work with me for a long period of time or have a contract or whatever it is. Again, true. But on the flip side of that is that you actually get to make choices there too. Do you know these people well enough to actually decide to spend time with them? Do you like them? And do you want to actually help them? And do you trust them to do the work in whatever it is that you're you're working alongside and partnering with them in? And uh, which means that just because you got a referral, and this destroys uh, so many small businesses because they get stuck in this referral trap, just because someone sent you a referral does not mean you have to say yes. Just because someone sent you a referral does not mean you need to put you don't need to put that person through their paces. And so I see all these people bending over backwards for referrals that are either from bad clients. And if they are referrals from bad clients, then they are the same bad clients because they hunt in packs. And the on the other side is, oh, Tom said I should come and speak to you and you'd look after me. And they're dropping their prices. They're not making any margin. And, um, yeah, they're working for nothing. It always surprised me as well that people think getting looked after means that they're going to get the price cheaper. Yep. It's like, oh, such and such. It's like, oh, they could just mean that they're going to do a, like, they're going to give you that extra level of service. They're going to really, you know, like uh, look after you to the best of their ability. It doesn't mean that they're going to give you it half off. Like I know yeah. so many places where you see that and then they're like, oh, like, yeah. So I gave them 10% off. I'm like, why? They didn't ask. Did they ask for 10% <laughs> off? No. That's right. Because often it's in, the, it's in the, the head of the person who's doing the sale. Um, and, and most people don't see themselves as salespeople. They don't like the idea of being seen as a salesperson. Um, and, you know, I've got the e-myth sitting back behind me and we and in the e-myth talks about, you know, you're a technician and, you know, you've got this delusion of grandeur and you get into a business. Now, so many of those experts, technicians, even, even consultants um, go out of their way to not say that they're salespeople, which, which at the end of the day really hurts the client because they're not thinking about how am I going to help this person take a step, which is really all sales is. They're thinking... How do I remove the tension from this moment? That's the key. And, and, and making a decision usually requires a bit of tension and requires a bit of emotion. And it, they, they try and step away from that and they sort of help without helping. Uh, and at the end of the day, you end up having uh, the dodgy dude up the road 
um, looking after, in inverted commas, that, that client where you really could have helped them. Mm. Yeah, I love what you, especially the tension point that you mentioned there. Like I heard a great analogy the other day of like a slingshot being pulled back. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to have tension to be able to propel forward in, in any way, shape or form. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, but most people can't handle the tension. So they cut the cord very fast, which means that they end up don't moving anywhere. Like yeah. I remember one of my sales mentors was very big on um, on being like, if you ask a question, if you ask for card details or to process, it's like just literally shutting up was his one biggest piece of advice. And most people are not comfortable in the tension of silence where they'll ask the question. So it's like, oh, so like, do you want to like buy my product or service? And then the client doesn't say anything and then they start talking. And they, uh, I remember someone asked me, like, what's the longest you've ever waited? Uh, and my, my record was five minutes. Wow. For someone to respond. It felt like, because the thing that you want to say is like, are you still there? Like, you almost want to say that. And I was like, I'm just going to do it just to test. And yeah. then after five minutes, they were like, yeah, just needed to think about that for a sec. Like, I'm ready to go. And I was just, <laughs> it felt like an eternity. I was literally putting myself on mute, walking around the office, um, tidying things up. I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm so so nervous. Uh, that's that's great. Yeah, I think my longest is probably only about 60 seconds, but even 60 seconds seems like a, an eternity. So uh, five minutes, I'll just make sure that the person's still breathing on the other end. <laughs> I said, I kept checking. I was like, checking my phone. I was like, is it connected? Is it disconnected? Yep, still good. Like, That's brilliant. Signal? Yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. But yeah, that, that tension point, point is, uh, is huge. And, and same, same for marketing as well, mm-hmm. right? You have to build the, the, the tension from where they are to where they want to be to get anyone to, to kind of think about doing anything. Yeah. And a lot of the time, um, uh, on, on the entrepreneurial, and I'd say that in inverted commas as well, because um, there's a lot of startups that, that say, I'm an entrepreneur, but they haven't actually done anything yet. So, so a lot of startups are in this situation where they're, they're, they're living in this old rule of you build it and they will come. And it, it doesn't work like that anymore. Um, and I tend to, I know a lot of people go, oh, you've got to find the need in the market. I tend to actually just want to find the want in the market. And um, I, you know, get them in a get them in the pointy end, and then infect them with awesomeness. Um, it's this idea of what is it that they want? What are they problem aware of right now? And actually talk to that because it'll it'll open up the doors for all the other things, and you can help them with the rest later. So many people are out there going, "There's a there's a problem in the market that I need to solve," but no one asked them to. Hundred mm. percent. I remember there was like a, uh, I think it was a story of these uh, gentlemen trying to invent the best uh, travel suitcases and they were going around for ages trying to figure it out, um, trying to figure out what everyone really needed. And then all that they did was the guy who made, I think it was something like something stupid, a couple hundred million dollars or something. Um, he's like, I'm just going to put wheels on them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not trying to figure out all the crazy different compartments that people wanted and storage and but it's like I'm just gonna put wheels on them and uh and patented it and yeah, made stupid amounts of money just by actually figuring out what, what the want was. Yeah, uh, and, and that's huge. And um uh yeah, we have these these ideas of of how we're gonna change the world, but a lot of the time um Unless we're speaking to to the challenges the people in see in front of them, then we're not going to actually get that engagement. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, um, Russell, as we get towards the end of our time here together, I always like the same like to ask the same question, which is: Is there a question which I haven't asked you yet that I should have? Hmm. 
Um, let's see. There's a question that you haven't asked me yet that you should have. <laughs> I, I would say, uh, other than about my program, um, I would say that it is what's the, what's the biggest key when it comes to creating a sales and marketing system? What, what is it? Spill the beans. <laughs> Intention. Hmm. What is the one step you want them to take from the start? What is the next step you want them to take from the start? What is the next step you want them to take? What is the intention between the, the different pieces of your process? Because I've had so many clients over the years want to throw out their entire sales and marketing process because it's not working. But in actual fact, it was just the intention in one of the tiny steps of the entire process that once solved, once we put wheels on it, enabled the clients to flow all the way through. I love that. I think that's, yeah, that's great. There's so many people that are, yeah, more than happy to throw the baby out with the bathwater than mm -hmm. uh, being coming in with that intention. So love that. And now, Russell, if people have been listening to us and they go, cool, I want to find out more about what this Russell guy is up to, where's the best place for them to go online to find out about you, your programs, all that fun stuff? Yeah, stalk me. That's always fun. Uh, you can become my stalker. Uh, but just look for me on social media. It's, it's Russell Pearson, double S, double L, the way Russell should be spelt. And um, you'll be able to find me on LinkedIn or Facebook and things like that. And yeah, there's all sorts of ways that you can engage with me from there. Beautiful. So guys, wherever you are listening or watching this, check the show notes above or below. We'll have all the links there to double check and find out and stalk. I'll give you his uh, physical address, Russell. <laughs> uh, you can track him down, find out more about what he's up to. Uh, and if you know someone that maybe hasn't been operating uh, with intention with their sales and marketing and their business, share this episode with them. Let them get a little bit of Russell's knowledge in their ears and then uh, hopefully they can turn things around. But Russell, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you making the time to jump on with us today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you.